We're going to welcome Nathan as he comes to kick off our series for Christmas. Thanks, Carla. Um, I, I told Carla before service started, first service, I, I pulled out my computer and I was like, I forgot, to, I forgot to print. And she goes, you forgot to, you forgot to pray? And I was like, no, I, f- I forgot to print. And I just felt the need to reassure all of you. I didn't forget to pray. I prayed, but I didn't print. And that's the reason why I have a, a computer up here. It's not some sort of uh, advertisement for Apple, though if Apple wants to sponsor me, I'm cool with that. Um, I, uh, I, have, I have a real confidence that, um, that Holy Spirit wants to talk to us uniquely today. That last song that, that the worship team shared and the way that Tanner opened that up, I really appreciated that, Tanner. Um, not being in a hurry when it comes to his presence. First service, this was just really beautiful. Marla was doing transition and she said... Uh, she said, man, I wish that wasn't the last song because it feels wrong to, to now hurry on to something else. Uh, but my sermon title today is Slowing Down to Now, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. So just get the sense that Holy Spirit wants to talk to us. So just to kind of raise your faith a little bit. Um, I, uh, I want to share a story first off. Um, Marissa and I were, were living overseas a couple years ago and uh, we moved back about a year and a half ago, and it was, a, it was a challenging season of life where we were asking a lot of questions about God's plans and purposes, and um, I was out for a walk uh, one afternoon with him, walking downtown Palmer and just kind of uh, arguing with God, more or less. You know, some people call it praying. I, I was arguing with God, and, uh, and I just, as I'm walking, I don't quite know exactly what it was, but it was some sort of vision uh, that I had. And I'm in a hospital room. I love to imagine that if I'm walking, this is like, this is a total side note, but if I'm walking and I have a vision and then I'm just like walk right into a wall or a tree or something, that's, that's where my mind goes as I'm sharing my own story. Uh, so I have a vision and uh, I'm in a hospital room. And, uh, and in the hospital room, I'm, I've got all these cords tied to me, uh, you know, uh, feeding me all sorts of medicine and good things. And and. I, in, in kind of a cliched scene, I'm like ripping out all of these cords. I just want free from all of them. And there's a, 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 like four or five nurses and attendants kind of around trying to calm me down, trying to keep cords plugged in. And I'm just going crazy, like trying to get out of here. And suddenly into the doorway walks the physician. And in this vision thing, I knew it was the physician. It wasn't a doctor. That was like the language that came to my mind. And, uh, and just his presence in the doorway uh, just silenced the room. I stopped kind of moving. All the nurses stopped, and they, they took their hands away, and they just looked. We're all staring at the physician. And he kind of gives a nod to the nurses, and they all file out of the hospital room. And it's just the physician and I, and I'm laying in the, in the bed. And he says, you need to rest. You need to rest. And I said, I don't feel like I need to rest. I feel like there's a lot to do and I need to do it. And he walks over to the foot of my bed and he leans over and he says, you have no idea what you need. You need to rest. And, uh, and, and something was accomplished in my spirit in this walk and it set kind of the course for a, a shifting of seasons in my life 
But even more than that, I, I get the feeling that it was a shift, not just for a season, but for a, a different lifestyle, a different way of life entirely. One that operates out of rest, one that is, uh, is not striving to accomplish something that's not mine to accomplish. I read a story recently where a, a kind of up-and-coming, well-known pastor was talking to an older father in the faith, a pastor who was far down the road. And he called him one day and he said, hey, what can I do to guard my heart? What can I do to, to cultivate a healthy spirituality? You know, I'm, I'm stepping into this favor and I want to make sure I do it well. And there's a long pause on the other end of the line, which means one of two things. Either like he's about to say something really wise, because that's what happens when someone is slow to speak. Or he, he's an older guy, right? He just fell asleep. And he's like taking a nap. But it wasn't that one. He, he, was, he said something wise. Uh, he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And the young pastor was going, wow, I didn't see that one coming. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And he writes it down. And he's like, I mean, I, I could think of a lot of other things that I would have expected him to say to me, but that's interesting. He goes, okay, I got it. What's next? What else? Another long pause, some snoring, and uh, no, no snoring. And he goes, uh, he goes, that's it. That's it. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual health in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And there are actually a, there's a book that I just finished. This is where I heard this story. A guy named John Mark Comer, who is who's a phenomenal teacher, real gift to the body of Christ these days. He's a pastor in Portland. He wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the foreword of it is by that younger pastor uh, who was seeking advice from the older pastor, Dallas Willard. And I, I put a picture of this book up here because Christmas is coming. I have not been impacted by a book like I have by this in, in some years. And I, I don't freely just toss out a bunch of books that you should read. But I do this partially because I think you should go and get it. But if you don't have time to get it, I'm basically going to summarize, in parentheses, plagiarize everything that he said in the book, all right, in the next 30, 40 minutes. This is like the SparkNote Wikipedia version of this book, okay? For, so for some of you who don't want to read it, I, you know, I'm a high school teacher, and it's so obvious. I, these poor high schoolers, when they plagiarize, it's painfully obvious that it's not their voice. I, I, one of the classes I teach is English, so I read a lot of essays, and it's like I'm reading something, and then it's like, oh, well, that's not them talking anymore. And so I have to have them in my office, and I'm going, hey, just let me show you how easy this is. Just because if you're going to plagiarize, you should get better at it, right? <laughs> let me tell you what a teacher does. Copy what you wrote here. Paste it in the browser. Return. There it is, right there on Wikipedia. No, that wasn't, I went, I, yeah, sort of, okay. Uh, so I'm just going to be forthright with you and say this is the Wikipedia version. This is the SparkNote version of this book, okay? And one of the things that we've got to do as we approach this topic is actually slow down ourselves. And I love where we ended in worship there and where Carla took us and just pausing. Um, but I want to, again, just invite you with me to just take a deep breath. Let's literally do this together. It works wonders to breathe. <laughs> it's such a novel thing. It's very not Buddhist. It's very, you need oxygen to survive. <laughs> All right? It's how God breathed life into us 
All right? I think we need to take back the idea of breathing from the New Age world. You think about hurry, and you think about everything that goes into play with hurry. And even me teaching right now, I have to slow myself down. This is the first time I've ever in my notes written breathe at different portions. And I'm going to make you do it with me. Because when I, I was studying this weekend and I came to Marissa, she said, how's it going? And I said, it's good. It's just I'm going to have to hurry because I've got a lot of information I want to get through. And she's like, isn't that a little ironic? So I'm going to intentionally slow down here a little bit. You know, we had this message last week from Gabe that Carla referenced. And one of the things that so struck me was just this fresh desire to hear the voice of God and to, to be given opportunities where he speaks and where I can be obedient to what he's saying. Because far too often I, I'm operating out of my own strategy and my own, uh, my, my own reasoning, and I want to make sure I am in tune with and aware of Holy Spirit and what he's doing, what he's saying, where he's leading me. And that, I, that my value is coming out, not out of my accomplishment, but out of my obedience. I'm going to say that again, that my value is not, is not coming from my accomplishment, but coming from my obedience to what God is asking me to do right now. And hurry is the great enemy of this reality. I mean, there's an, an English preacher, uh, what's his name, Samuel Chadwick. He said, hurry is the death of prayer. You see, we don't cultivate the opportunity we don't, to, to be aware of God's presence or of his voice because of our pace of life, our distraction, and our unwillingness to veer from that reality. I was, I was just thinking during worship this time uh, that I just wanted to, I want to make it really clear that what we're talking about this morning, what I'm talking about, requires real sacrifice. And what good thing in the kingdom doesn't, honestly? But it requires sacrifice to slow down. It's not an easy thing to do, especially in our modern era. There, is, there are few things that are more countercultural in the Western world than slowing down, than eliminating distraction, right? And it's, it's, not, it's, it's only increasing. And some of you are sitting here going like, yeah, I talk to God. I do it while I'm multitasking. To which I respond, Multitasking is a total myth. And trust me, those of you who are like, uh-uh, I'm really good at it, I, I would say you're, you're not as good as you think you are. Because <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. The science shows pretty clearly that for all of our multitasking, we actually are never as effective as we are when something has our full attention. And trust me, I'm a, like, I, I live and die by the multitask too. I'm speaking to myself. I had to take the trash out the other night. It's about a 10-second walk from my back porch to the trash can outside. And I took my phone with me, a podcast, so that I could not waste that 10 seconds, but listen to that teaching that I really wanted to listen to as I walked, you know, the 20 yards to the trash can. I mean, give me a break, Nathan. What is your problem? Go ahead, say it to me. Give me a break, Nathan. What? Yeah. Everybody repeat after me. Give me a break. Um, <laughs> I said, it's a joke. But listen to this. I read something like this from Linda Stone. Continuous partial attention is our new normal. This cannot be normal to be partially attentive. And if this is true with the way that like, 
You know, I take out the trash, then it's probably true of the way that I play with my kids while my phone is conveniently sitting right by me, right? It's probably true of the way that I have my quiet time while I'm also checking my email. It's probably true of the way that I treat other people, the way that I'm rushing through my day, the way that my priorities are all over the place, and I'm like a pinball machine being thrown whatever way has my immediate attention. It takes awareness, and it takes a cultivation of that awareness to hear God's voice. Listen to this. Attention is the beginning of devotion. Regardless of our income levels, attention is our scarcest resource because attention leads to awareness. All the contemplatives agree. The chronic problem of human beings' felt experience is distance from God. But God isn't usually the culprit. God is omnipresent. There's no place where he is not. And no time he isn't present either. Our awareness of God is the problem. Could it be that we've grown overly accustomed to a way of life that is no way of life at all? And surely not a way of life that is in line with the values of our Messiah. We're going to come back to Jesus in a second, but I want to get real practical for a moment. You see, we're finite creatures. We are infinite creatures. We're made for eternity. It's in our hearts, and yet we are finite. We're made in the image of God, but we're also made of the dust of the earth, and we live between these realities, and we're stuck with this life without limitations in in God alongside real constrictions that start just with our actual physical bodies. And you make it as practical as sleep, right? I used to always think, man, if I could just go without sleep, I could get so much more done. I just need to, I just wish I could eliminate sleep from my life and I would like dominate the world in a good way. Uh, And then I had a child and I realized sleep is the greatest invention of God in the world. Look at this picture of my newborn, firstborn son, Lincoln Chud, on that sheepskin, no less. Thank you, Christy Frey. Um, but is there anything better in the world, both for him or for me, right, than that scene? And then he gets a little bit older, and he still does the same thing. Even superheroes need their rests. I didn't have the heart to tell him one day. It's going to continue, but he's going to look more like this. Any of you have a preferred reading position like this? This is, I'm really good at this one. It's kind of my go-to reading spot. Eyes closed, past sleep. I have a slobber problem too. And so it's like, it's all over the place. Uh, anyway, this was, a, this was a thick book, I'll have you know. That was Brothers Karamazov. It took me 18 weeks to get through. Um, but here's the deal. When it comes to sleep, you got to go back. And Comer goes off on this in the book that I referenced. He talks about how you know, the invention of the clock began this artificial construct of time itself. Because in the past where we would maybe go to sleep when our bodies felt tired, now we go to sleep based on what time it is often. Or how many Netflix shows, you know, you want to watch before you actually give up or before you fall asleep on the couch. And then you wake up, Many of us, some, some of you older folks in the room are like, no, I'm fine. I like sleep. I go to sleep when I want. I wake up when my body tells me. Probably for the, the majority of us, though, you wake up to the sound of some kind of an alarm, and it jolts you out of that natural place of rest and into a day. You know, the average American, prior to the invention of the light bulb, the average American slept 11 hours a night. Can you imagine if, if we were sleeping 11 hours a night? 
what it would do to, to our health, to our, not just our physical health, but our spiritual health. I mean, I ask this question uh, of like my high schoolers a lot, you know, how often are you sleeping? And the numbers are, are honestly frightening, how little we're sleeping. And I read an article years ago where a doctor was saying, you know, I used to always talk to people about what they ate, what they were doing for exercise, and how much they were sleeping. He said, now I basically exclusively talk about if they're sleeping or not. Because it so influences everything else. And the way that we're going means less and less sleep, right? Whether it be due to, like, the expectations of the pace of life or just that glow of whatever your screen of choice is like robbing your physical body of the gift that God gave you in that rest. And, and I'll tell you what, for my young, ambitious, idealistic self, the thing with sleep in particular was that I, it was an act of surrender for me. It was an act of giving up and saying, I cannot. I can't do something. I am finite. I'm not going to be able to accomplish all this. I need to rest in you and let my value be derived by what you can do while I'm fully at rest. Because the value, or sorry, the solution to an overbusy life is not more time. It's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. Right? You don't need to just eliminate sleep. You actually need to probably sleep more. You just need to reorient your life around what matters and what matters. I mean, if you're in this room, it's probably a good sign that you're going, well, Jesus matters to me. We want to be his disciples. That's what we're aiming for. That's why we gather like this is to be more like Jesus, to look into his face and to develop a likeness of him in our own life. And you think of who Jesus was. I don't know that, that, that there's anyone that was more present than Jesus that actually demonstrated a way of life, not just said things, but demonstrated a way of life, of being in the moment, of being present, of being available, right? The, I, I heard someone talking recently about even the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, this, this imagining Jesus in the middle of his teaching going, look at the birds of the air. And not in a, like, Jesus reviewing his notes, going like, what would be a good metaphor for worry, uh, birds, yeah. Let's look at the birds. No, no, no. Just imagine Jesus in the middle of teaching, and then his eyes kind of go like, wow, look at the birds of the air. You talk about being present in a moment, you know. In a, in a place like this, you know, God's favorite place on the earth is here in the Matanuska Valley, right? This is like his masterpiece. I mean, I, I love that we get to be in Thielen, and I, I'm always distracted in a really powerful way by these images that surround us, these paintings. Um, I think Jesus, if you were here in the flesh, he'd do a lot of like, you'd get out of the car on the way into Fred Meyer and you'd be walking in and Jesus would be back there and you'd be like, Jesus, what are you doing? We gotta, and he'd be like, wow, look at Pioneer Peak. My father did a good job here, right? Honestly, I, I, I think that's who Jesus was and is. And I think we've robbed ourselves of a way of life he offered us by trying to keep up with all the distractions, with the crazy pace of life. This is a well-known passage out of Matthew 11. This is the way Jesus said it. Are you tired? Let's pause there for a second. Just give me a nod if you're tired. 
Are you tired? Yeah, you are. And if you're not, it's because you're too tired to nod your head. <laughs> or you had six cups of that amazing coffee from Rwanda. Um, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Come on, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the message version of this passage. In the, uh, in the NIV or most of the traditional versions, they'll talk about take my yoke upon you. you know? and, and the idea here is not just of an escape from the craziness, but it's a way to be joined with Jesus in the midst of the craziness that defines the way you navigate it. It's not just completely tossing it aside. It's going, how do you actually enter into the fray and be present with Holy Spirit? How do you actually yoke yourself to him? To a Jesus who validated 30 years of a very ordinary lifestyle. And then in his years of quote-unquote ministry, he still took naps, right? In boats, in the midst of storms. This was how he rolls. His moral teachings, Comer says, aren't arbitrary at all. They're laws, yes. But moral laws are no different from scientific laws like gravity. They're statements about how the world actually works. And if you ignore these moral laws, not only do you rupture relationship with God, but you also go against the grain of the universe he created. And Comer says if you go against the grain of the universe, you're bound to get some splinters. It's not going to be the most enjoyable experience. I grew up in Alaska. I was born and raised here, but I didn't do a lot of hunting as a kid. Um, but I do understand the value of silence. I mean, Elmer Fudd taught that to me, right? Notice there's not a, there's not a picture of me hunting like there is of me sleeping. That's, you can see where my life is. But I did go hunting once with my, he was my future father-in-law, Gordon Pepper, and with Gabe, uh, his son and my brother-in-law, and uh, we, we went out to this, uh, these couple of tree stands at the base of Hatchers, and uh, Gordon went up one, and Gabe and I went up the other, and we sat there. It was probably an hour or two, and, um, you know, we're dead quiet, just waiting, and I'm going, like, man, this is, this is wild, the silence, and Gabe pulls out this banana really, really quiet, really quietly from uh, a bag that he had, and he, he kind of does, like, watch this. And he flicks the banana, he has it like, you know, by the stem and he flicks it and the peel like kind of comes off and he's like, eh? And, and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And so I took the other banana and I grabbed it by the stem and I kind of like this. So I flick it and it worked, it came off and the banana came off too. And, and, and I swear it like the, the branches on that tree multiplied because it hit, little banana and uh yeah and Gordon from the other tree stand is like seriously guys <laughs> and he never took me hunting again it's the weirdest thing uh no but really I'm a card-carrying Alaskan and uh I'm begging some mornings I wake up and I look in the mirror and I'm like I've never shot a moose I don't really feel like an Alaskan so I'm just putting it out there Gordon won't take me hunting anymore if anybody wants to take me I will not bring any bananas. <laughs> Check this out. 
The soul is like a wild animal, tough, resilient, savvy, self-sufficient, and yet exceedingly shy. If we want to see a wild animal, the last thing we should do is to go crashing through the woods or throwing bananas, shouting for the creature to come out. But if we're willing to walk quietly into the woods and sit silently for an hour or two at the base of a tree, the creature we are, willing, we are waiting for may well emerge. And out of the corner of an eye, we will catch a glimpse of the precious wildness we seek. Isn't that beautiful? I'll tell you this, silence has to be one of the greatest gifts and shifts to my life as a believer uh, that's happened as I've, as I've gotten older. And I have a feeling it's just going to increase as, as I learn more and more of the ways of God. I remember being a young teacher in Boston and driving home, and I love music as much as anybody, so I always have music on. But there was this day where I was just, I was kind of tired, and I happened to turn off the song that was playing, and this revelation hit me, like, wow, silence is powerful. And it became, it became this tradition for me to every day drive home in silence, and man, the way that I could begin to feel my soul breathe. I'm like, wow, I have been overstimulated all day. And the same thing goes uh, now every morning, you know, when I spend time with Jesus, I try to make it a discipline to sit for at least five, ten minutes in just total silence, right, to just be present in the moment. Can you do a team breath with me? Everybody take a sigh. So how do we do it? How do we develop an unhurried life? Well, again, I point back to the fact that this doesn't come without sacrifice. Because it's all good in theory, uh, but it's a little more difficult when you play it out. And it takes discipline. It takes practice. Brother Lawrence called it the practice of the presence of God because it takes that discipline to live from attention and awareness, to develop that communion with Holy Spirit, especially in the modern world. But it's about creating more freedom. The, the ways that you discipline yourself, any kind of spiritual discipline, it's not about creating more rules for your life. It's about creating more freedom. And really, if it's done well, that's what it does, right? And, it's, and it's, you, have to, you have to be aware, we're, we're talking about a Jesus who existed as a single man, uh, Jewish, you know, living in the first century. And so we can't just take everything that Jesus did and transfer it perfectly into our modern era, right? He didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a wife and kids. So things look a little bit different. But what I try to do is, well, what did it look like for Jesus? And how can I take those principles and apply them to my own life? And I want to do that uh, today by just uh, talking about three things with the time we have left. I want to touch on three ways that we can combat hurry. One is technology. One is taking a look at consumerism, and the third is our schedules, all right? Um, so, as far as technology goes, the first uh, thing just to say about technology, and this, is, this kind of brings us into the present moment, is just to admit that we're all on information overload. There's way too much flying at us all the time. But even more dangerous than that is we're so used to that feeling of being overwhelmed by information that, again, we think that's normal. And we think we should be able to exist like that. And the fact is we just can't. We, we just can't. You can't keep up with everything that's happening. It's impossible. 
And the more that you think that that's normal, the more dangerous it gets because you even get used to the feeling. You know, we show up every Sunday and someone like me talks at you for 40 minutes and you may even be moved in your spirit. This morning, something may occur in your heart or mind and you, you may even go like, man, that is powerful. And then you may walk right out of here and move on with your day and forget about whatever just happened. Because we're so used to all the information we're getting that it's like we're just, our, our bodies and our minds and our hearts are accustomed to getting some new revelation and then moving on, right? And the internet age has taken this you know, up to mock speed, right? Check out this quote. I love the way this guy talks about the, the effect of the internet on his life. He says, what the internet seems to be doing is chipping away at my capacity for concentration and contemplation. Whether I'm online or not, my mind now expects to take in information the way the internet distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. I think it'd do us a lot of good if we just went ahead and admitted that we're all addicted to our cell phones. Like I think, you know how in Alcoholics Anonymous, that first step of like owning and admitting that addiction is so powerful. I think that we need to do that with technology, really. Just admit that we're addicted. Because too often, this is, these are what the scenes look like, right? Especially the danger of cell phones. We're so addicted that actually, listen to this. If you, and if you're not thinking you're addicted, let me just share these statistics. Because this is how I know I'm confident speaking to a room of addicts, all right? <laughs> Myself very much included. 75% of us sleep next to our phones. And 90% of us immediately check our phones upon waking up. What's the narrative that you're using to set your day in motion? You know, uh, Comer talks in his book about the power of slot machines in Las Vegas. Uh, and how actually the most money in Las Vegas in the gambling world is made off of slot machines. Not because it's the big earner as far as like, uh, you know, you, you're spending vast amounts of money. It's actually just quarters, typically, that you're entering in. But that's the danger, is it feels so insignificant that you just, you don't mind doing one after the other, after the other, after the other. And you see that stereotypical image of, like, the person sitting there with a, with a you know, a cosmopolitan, and they're just shoving quarter after quarter in, blank staring into the screen. But this is what we do with our cell phones. When I'm sitting there playing with my sons, and I'm like, something comes to my mind, I'm going, oh, I forgot to send that one email. I'm just going to quickly send it. Oh, there's a text message. Oh, it's a video. I should just watch this real quick, right? And on and on and on. It all feels insignificant. And yet, that's the slot machine, right? Just adding up and feeding the addiction. That's why the slot machine is so dangerous. It literally feeds our addiction. And it's, again, it's, if you've read anything about the power of technology, it's, it's very simple scientifically. The dopamine hit that we get any time that we get that rise of adrenaline from some kind of notification on our screen. And social media, as you know, takes it to a whole different level. It, it forces us back to the garden with that, that core issue of envy, the greed for another person's life, and the loss of gratitude, the loss of joy in the present. I mean, how many times have I been, again, I imagine some of the phenomenal scenes I'm in with my family, and it's such a precious time of life right now. And I just am so desperate to capture that, right? And so here I am in a magical moment, 
And then I pull out my phone and I'm like, yeah, here we are. Remember this one day. And it's fine. Like, I, do it. But don't do it every 15 seconds, all right? And don't share it with everybody every 30 seconds, right? Let, let yourself be present in that moment. Let yourself actually enjoy what God gave you. The danger of, the, of this social media, back to that, to the garden, is we end up looking and going like, man, there they are eating at another restaurant in, in, uh, in Hawaii. And it's like, I've never been to Hawaii. My life sucks. Sorry. My, you, and you end up comparing and forgetting about just the, the, the glory, the, 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 the thanksgiving that you have right in front of your eyes, right? You lose your gratitude for those type of moments. And, and again, I'm talking to myself. Friday, I, I, the day after Thanksgiving, I went out to the office and my wife was like, hey, you, you feel free to take some time and prep for this weekend. And I go out and I'm like, all right, I'm getting in the zone. And I open my computer and it was crazy how many sporting events there were to watch the highlights of so immediately. And it was like some time had passed before. I'm, I'm literally, this is, this is what happened. I'm in the middle of watching a video of a, a, a guy uh, on a surfboard uh, on a cruise ship riding this artificial wave. And he's like, and he loses his balance and the wave is like pummeling him and his shorts are falling down and I'm kind of laughing and I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, how much time has passed? What am I doing? I'm prepping a sermon about eliminating distractions from my life. No joke. I mean, we're addicts, okay? I'm an addict. And we've got, it's why it takes sacrifice. It's why it takes really diligent, disciplined intervention to cut this stuff off from our life, specifically with technology. And um, some of you are going, yeah, but I can do what I want. It's not about just getting more legalistic, Nathan to which I would refer you to Paul talking to the Corinthians, where they said, I have the right to do anything. Maybe he said that. I forget the rest of the verse, so I have to see. There it is. I have the right to do anything. Yeah, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but I will not be mastered by anything. And how many of us are mastered by these freaking cell phones? I want to give you some real simple and straightforward action items, okay? And again, this is about giving you more freedom, not less. This is about uh, enabling you to cultivate communion with Holy Spirit, all right? Here's the first thing I want to encourage you to do. Parent your phone. This language comes from a guy named Andy Crouch, who, uh, who's another phenomenal father in the faith. He wrote a book called The TechWise Family. And uh, one of the things that he suggested is that uh, you know, in the same way that these days I have, like I keep mentioning, I have these young boys. The way that my wife and I do our days is we, we uh, at nighttime, we put them down at 8 o'clock. And then uh, we have like a couple hours to dial down ourselves and to just decompress, to be together, right? Uh, to prep for the next day, whatever it is. And then in the morning, we have limits for them. They know that they're not allowed to wake up before 7. Or sorry, not to... Now, they can wake up, they can't get up, because oftentimes they are awake. I told first service, my son right now uh, likes to wake up at 6.15, and sadly he has like, gotten into this horrible song that is already outdated and already annoying, but he's resurrecting it. And he, I woke up yesterday to him singing, 
I want to take my horse to the uptown road. And I'm like, I want to take you somewhere, son. Um, but, but, sorry, back to parenting your phone. Parenting my children. That's a different message. Um, so they don't, they don't come upstairs before 7 o'clock. And it gives my wife and I an opportunity to actually uh, have our time with Jesus, to get a little coffee in our system, right? To be on the offensive and not the defensive for the day. And Crouch's suggestion is do the same thing with your phone. Put it to sleep like you would your child, and then you have a couple hours to decompress from your day, to kind of empty yourself of all that stuff and all that busyness and all that distraction, and then you go to sleep, and then you wake up, and you win the day by getting time in communion with Jesus before you just go to that phone, right, for that little dopamine hit, or for that, like, text message that was sent in the middle of the night, and you better make sure you answer it immediately, right? Or that news from the left or the right that is just feeding you bad narrative, right? What if we actually developed the storyline for our day based on what Jesus is saying to us, right? Parent your phone. Put it to sleep. Number two, uh, set stricter limits. This is a little broader, but uh, and I know I've seen people, even in this body, experimenting with different things on here. There's all sorts of advice on this because the crazy thing is all the guys who who uh, invented this stuff are sending their kids to schools that are completely free of technology and all this stuff because they know how addictive it is, right? And so we have to, there's all sorts of stuff out there on the danger of this addiction to technology or to cell phones. Um, one of the things that, that I've practiced for a while is just eliminate social media during the weekdays. And then in the weekend, when it's a different rhythm to my life, then I might turn on Facebook or turn on Instagram. And sometimes I do this, sometimes I don't. There's, a, there's other ways that you can just eliminate this stuff altogether, like give a break from social media. And a, and a little side charge I'll give is don't make an announcement about it. Just do it, right? Anybody annoyed when someone like blows the trumpet and is like, I will be leaving Facebook, <laughs> right? Feel free to reach me on one of my other 16 social media platforms. <laughs> just do it. Just, just leave and get on with your life. Um, the last thing you can do is just force yourself to go periods of time uh, without a cell phone and watch, watch how desperate you are for it. Just experiment with it. I, I, uh, I learned this once going to a country where I didn't have cell service and, I, uh, and I, didn't, I wasn't driving and I didn't need my wallet and so I left it all at the house I was staying and I would leave the door and I realized how often I would do this check, Right? Which is, I said to the first service, it's like a great white man dance move, you know? Like that? Anybody? <laughs> oh, I'm going to take my horse to the hotel. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, uh, so I, I, I was so fascinated with this experiment of having just my pockets emptied of this stuff. And I realized so quickly, I'd come onto a beautiful scene with my friend, and I would go, oh, man, I got to take a picture of this. And I'd go, oh, oh I got to breathe this in. And, and the, the impact of that in every single respect of, like, what that cultivated in my just presentness with my friend, with God's creation, with God himself, right? What if you actually just 
go without for a little bit. Watch, watch the miracles that happen. And then the third thing I would suggest is to go grayscale. This is something that I just started doing. I think I started a week or two ago. Uh, and, and this is a suggestion uh, that is put out by, again, one of the insiders at Google uh, who developed this in such a way that it would be addictive. He said this is one of the most simple ways to combat phone addiction. Just look it up online. You can go grayscale, and it takes away the color, and it, and it really messes with your mind a little bit, all right? Uh, I'll let you do that on your own time. I'm going to move on for the sake of time today. Let's talk about consumerism, shall we? Shall we talk about consumerism, church? Black Friday's done. Some of you are like, yeah, Cyber Monday is tomorrow. It's... Can't wait to see when, uh, never mind. Um, okay, so I want to I wanna share something with you, and this is not to inflict any kind of guilt, but it's just to put things in perspective, okay? If you make $25,000 a year or more, you're in the top 10% of the world's wealth. And if you make $34,000 a year or more, you're in the top 1%. So I'm sure there are exceptions in this room, but by and large, probably the vast majority of us fall into probably the top 1% of the world's wealth. And so keep this in mind as we read something that Paul charged Timothy to do, okay? He said, tell those rich in the world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money. He's talking to us people, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage, to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining a life that is truly life. Do you ever read scriptures and you're like, oh man, that's so cool and painful at the same time? I did this first service. I just want you to turn and tell three people how much money you make, okay? Just joking. It's a joke. Some of you are like, oh gosh, wrong church. That would be, be a fun experiment. The fact is, in the, in the past hundred years, I've been teaching U.S. history for the first time in a while this, this past semester, and it's really got me seeing how in the, in the past century, we've really gone from a needs-based culture to a desires-based culture. Right? At the end of World War I, we had all these factories that had been making weapons, and all these businessmen get together and they're like, well, we got to convince the people that they still need things, right? So let's change this from a weapons factory to a t-shirt factory. And then we'll put them out in Target with cool pictures of models, right? And everybody will think like, I need that to have a good life. The fact is we, we don't need a lot of things. Hate to break it to you, but the point here is to develop a life of generosity. And this is... This is a big reason why I, I am a, a believer in tithing. Because, not because tithing is a goal, but because tithing is a discipline that I put on myself to create a life of generosity, right? I don't want to just fulfill my duty before God and check that box. I want to do things in my life that cause me to develop a lifestyle and a way of life that then leads to this extravagant giving of my life and my resources, right? I believe this is the kingdom of God. I believe this is the values that Jesus showed us. Think of it, uh, this, this other well-known, often quoted verse, Philippians 4.13. Let's say it together. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is a, a wonderful verse, one that we often think of like quoting when we're like in the midst of our trials, right? Was Paul talking about this in the midst of his persecution? Was he talking about it, you know, about how we need greater faith to see more people healed? Let's look at the context of this verse. If you go back one verse, it says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about contentment. He's saying it doesn't matter if I have a lot or if I have a little. I can do it, I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content and without the need of all this other stuff, right? Whatever my stage of life is. And contentment, you have to understand, again, isn't some kind of new age negation of your desires. It's living in such a way that your unfulfilled desires no longer curb your happiness. They no longer define who you are or what brings you joy. We have enough. What we really need is to take time to enjoy what we have. I'm going to make it real simple here with some action items. Some of you do this really well already. But just four things you can do. Make four piles. Most people find it easier to use bags or boxes. And I'll tell you what, I do this on a regular basis. I was doing this again last night as I'm like thinking about this sermon. I'm like, I got to do this over and over and over again. You make four piles. One, a giveaway pile. Stuff that you can give to family or friends or those in need. Because often, if you have too much, there's someone who doesn't have enough, and here's a real novel idea, give it to them. You don't need it, someone else probably does. Another pile of stuff that you can sell, go on your way with that, generate a little income, throw away or recycle the stuff you just need to get rid of, and then if you need to wait on some stuff, then make a pile with that, all right? And, and clothing is a real simple way to begin with this because probably the chances are good that, that you have too many clothes, that you have that pair of shoes that you keep around just in case. Maybe you don't need the just in case, right? <laughs> do you see how many holes are in them? Get rid of them, right? You can do it. You move on from clothing with, with stuff like, you know, we'll do this with our, with our toys or with our children's toys. That was not a, that, that was a slip up, but it's probably true of us as well with our own toys, uh, with our children's toys, with papers. This is a great one. You know, my mom recently downsized. And uh, we realized real quick how many of, like, you know, her kids' projects she had kept, those cute little art projects. They were like, you know, that, that little pumpkin that we made in kindergarten, except there were like 900 of those same things. So, like, we kind of were still in some ways working through, like, how do we keep that one and burn the other 99, right? When mom's not looking, right? <laughs> No, but this is like, you can do this, all right? And then, it, and then it gets into your budget and even into your schedule. Speaking of which, I want to move on. This is the last one, the schedule. I want to talk about schedule for a second. All right. Um, I read a book some years ago called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. And it's, it talks about the, uh, the suffering of Native Americans as settlers moved out across the West. And there was this story in the midst of it where President Grant was bringing out different Indian chiefs to talk about peace treaties in Washington, D.C. And there was a quote by one of the uh, Indian chiefs as he was riding the train and going through Chicago. He says this, It was a great experience 
riding on our old enemy, the iron horse. Chicago was terrifying with its noise and confusion and buildings that seemed to reach to the sky. And I know you can't see this very well, but it says the white men were as thick and numerous and aimless as grasshoppers, moving always in a hurry but never seeming to get to whatever place it was they were going to. I'm going to read that again. They were as thick and numerous and aimless as grasshoppers, moving always in a hurry but never seeming to get to whatever place it was they're going to. And you, if you want to behold a similar scene, you know, you go to any big city or you go to Fred Meyer and just stand there for a second and watch the pace at which we exist. And it's, I mean, it's very much the, this way for me when I, I, you know, and some of you are going to really relate with this. You'll catch yourself, right, the pace at which you're walking. Do you do this? where you're like in Fred Meyer or in Target, and you were charging after those apples, right? <laughs> I mean, what is going to be gained with that two seconds of time that I saved by rushing to pick up the apples my wife asked me to get on the way home? And yet, I catch myself doing this all the time. But what, what gifts await for me if I actually slow down and I'm like seeing people? If I'm looking at humanity, not just as a robot, but as a human. And I'm communing with Holy Spirit and going, is there anything that you want me to say to anybody? Is there anything else you want me to buy? What's that, ice cream? I'm on it. <laughs> Every time, Holy Spirit is so faithful to always speak to me about that ice cream. But honestly, what kind of opportunities await for us if we just slow it down? And the fact is, for all the talk about hurry and overload, most of it is self-inflicted. We're doing this to ourselves. You know, recent research has concluded that the average guy spends 10,000 hours playing video games by the age of 21. And yet, what's your equivalent? You know, what's your video game? If that's not you, some of you, it is the video game. If it's not the video game, it's probably something else. It could be as simple as just your attachment to this thing. How are you investing your time? I would challenge you and say most of us probably need to just start, as far as our schedules go, with just slashing five commitments that you have right now and going, I'm going to prioritize what God has told me to prioritize. I'm going to eliminate all the other things and do what God has told me to do really well. And oftentimes when Marissa and I, Marissa and I do this on a frequent basis, just usually with a changing of the seasons, we'll do it again over the new year here. We'll sit down and go, We'll go through our relationships. We'll go through our calendar, right? And we'll sit before God and say, where do you want us to invest? We'll do it with our budget. What needs to change? Where do we invest? And then we unapologetically say no to the other things that get in our way, right? Don't be afraid of doing less and doing it better. The fact is that hurry kills our relationships. Love takes time and hurry doesn't have it. Lord knows I am at my worst when I am tired or when I'm in a hurry, right? And, it, and it's all feeding the same thing. It's when I'm biting at my kids. It's when I'm unkind to my wife, right? When my schedule is not aligned with my values. But you achieve that peace in your heart and in your soul when your schedule is aligned with what God is asking you to do, right? Not with just whatever is before you to do because the distraction right before you is endless. It'll always be there for you. You think of Jesus again and his presentness and yet his ability to be so active and yet so available. You think of the story in Matthew 14 when John the Baptist is beheaded and then Jesus 
uh, is seeking to get time away, right? To grieve, to be with the Father, to fill up that well. And then he sees people and he has compassion on them. And somehow he is present in that moment to pour out and to give. But then afterwards, he sends the people away. He sends the disciples ahead. And then he spends the night with the Father, making up for lost time, uncompromising in his willingness or in his desire to be with the Father, right? To be filled. Somehow, I have to believe if, it, if, if Jesus demonstrated that cultivation of that awareness of the Father, then, then I should too. So I want to offer you some real simple action. I already did a little bit, but this was something that was said to us years ago. It means way more to us now than it did way back when. But a father in the faith told us, divert daily, Sabbath weekly, retreat quarterly, and vacation yearly. You know, find a way every day. All of us can at least do the first two, right? You can divert daily. You can get away. You can spend time with Jesus where the cultivation of that awareness comes from. The Sabbath is a, is a whole other topic that, honestly, I believe the Holy Spirit is talking to the body of Christ about. A 24-hour period where maybe you fully cut off. Maybe you don't do any activity. Maybe the technology is fully gone. And you're present with your family, with your friends, with, uh, with, your, with your maker. And if it's possible to retreat and vacation, do that as well. But if you do, don't just rush in a vacation that actually like, causes you to just begin to decompress before you head back in. Science, again, would show to us that it takes a certain amount of time to decompress before we can actually begin to rest. The problem is we just are on our way to just about being able to rest, and then we're back into the thick of things, all right? Maybe don't waste your money on that trip to Hawaii that you saw on that Instagram account. It was so awesome. Maybe just cancel activities and sit at home, right? Maybe just be with a couple close friends or family. Find your powerful yes so that you can have a powerful no. Carla talked about this on Vision Sunday. This is what we're trying to do as a body, as Northgate. It's what any good organization does. It's what we as individuals, as couples, as families have to do to find your powerful yes. Find what Jesus is telling you to do so that you can powerfully say no to the distractions and the hurry that are coming your way. You up for another sigh with me? Take a deep breath. Why don't you stand? Comer says, for most of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And God, we want nothing less than the life that is truly life. We want the abundant life you talked about, not the one that's fed us from advertising, from the pace of life, from distractions everywhere we go. Would you still us? Would you quiet our souls? Would you teach us to be present with you, to hear your voice, and to sacrificially cultivate that awareness? God, I ask for courage, because really that's what you need, church. That's what we need is courage to slow down. Love takes time and hurry doesn't have it. 
God, teach us to obediently follow what you're saying. Give us courage to walk it out, Jesus. In your name, amen. Hey, how about you thank Nathan again? Wasn't that so good? Uh, and, and there was a real practical challenge in that. So, and, and I've got one more thing that I want to announce. But before I do that, I want you to turn to somebody next to you and tell them what's your first action step that you're going to do out of this message. Commit to something out of your mouth. Let's go. Someone in here is going to turn their phone grayscale. It's good. Good, good, good. We're going to discipline ourselves. So there's one more thing. Um, so coming into this Christmas season, as, as we planned and, and we made a message series that we've called Prepare Him Room, which we did on purpose, because we know that um, Christmas season can often become like the busiest time of the year. Between all the Christmas parties that we have going for work and Christmas shopping and family events, like, it kind of like we hit December and it's like, whoa, survive until January. And yet, for Christmas, the word that I love for Christmas every year is wonder. And I don't want to, we don't want to be so busy that we don't slow down and miss the sense of wonder that God became flesh and entered humanity. And we want to encounter that in, as individuals. We want to encounter that on Sunday. And then we want to encounter that as families during the week. So one of the things that we did just to offer a way to help you do that as family is we actually, in connected with the message, we've just done a little thing, that, a devotional that you can do with your family during the week that helps you as if, if you're a couple, if you're older, if you're younger, if you've got kids to draw into it, to stop, to slow down because we want to build towards the wonder of God becoming flesh. So we're going to release that every single week. It's actually already up on the app. If you go on... It, in the time that you're not putting your phone aside, in the, in the holy moment that you're allowed to use it for a good thing. It's on the app. If you go under media, it's like a couple of jumps. Media to sermon notes to then what this week was called, which is prepare home room slow to now. There's actually just a, a simple scripture and a couple of things that you can do as a family. And we just really, we'll put it out in a couple other ways during the week because we just want to encourage you, especially in this season, to be really intentional about encountering the wonder of Jesus. So I encourage you to do that. Otherwise, if our ministry team wants to come up, if you guys need prayer for anything, we have a crew of people who love to pray, who have this real expectation that Jesus wants to move and do something. Otherwise, have a great week. Enjoy the slowness and the stillness and the lack of distraction that you will now have. And we'll see you next week.